0: Hello, Two Principles podcast listeners. We are so grateful for all the support and appreciate you checking in with us wherever you listen to your podcast. We would love for you to follow, subscribe, and rate, review our podcast. You can also follow us on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Two Principles. Check us out on the web at twoprinciples.com. We are so grateful for our Two Principles
1: podcast partners, HealthWise Behavioral Health and Wellness. As a team of experienced licensed psychologists, clinical therapists, medical professionals, and mind body practitioners, HealthWise offers a wide range of mental health services for individuals of all ages. HealthWise is grounded in a philosophy that considers the whole person. We are excited to record our Two Principles podcast from the beautiful HealthWise Yoga and Wellness Studio located right here in Maple Grove, Minnesota.
0: Green Boy Brand. We want to thank Green Boy Brand for helping us design our Two Principles artwork and logo. They can help you customize your brand. If you're looking for an artwork design or logo or some cool merchandise, check them out at greenboybrand.com. They have done work for schools, businesses, sports organizations, and everything in between. When you go with Green Boy, you're choosing to get a personal touch rather than a cookie cutter look.
1: Welcome to the Two Principles podcast, where we
0: help you get out of your head and into your heart. The Two Principles podcast: life and leadership talk inside and out. A better you makes for a better today. It starts with you.
2: I'm Heidi Kopachik, and I'm hanging out with Two Principles.
0: It sounded great. Well. It sounded excellent. You don't want you don't want to be our you don't want to be on our tech crew. Ooh. So this guy over here is our tech guy, and uh, sometimes he struggles, but he does uh, actually a lot of good stuff for us.
1: <laughs> he asked me earlier when I was playing around with this, he's like, you know what you're doing? I said, no, I'm just pressing the pretty buttons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As always, Kevin has got uh, the background music, and he rolled that in. Thank you, Kevin. All right, it's that time. The mics are hot. Hello, and welcome to today's show. As always, super excited to be here today with my good friend, Kevin. We are fired up to have Dr. Heidi Kopachek in studio today. I'm Jason Paris. I'm Kevin Jost. And we are The Two Principles, The Two Principles podcast where we put the focus on leadership, work-life balance, stress reduction, and mental health. Thanks for tuning in today as we continue to walk this journey together, one step at a time, one conversation at a time. Hey, every episode we
1: will stay true to The Two Principles purpose. We will consider the impact of our words and actions we will be in the moment. We will stay present. We will give it our best today, and of course, we are always going to try to have a little bit of fun. All right, let's uh, check in with everybody.
0: See how the weeks are going, Jason. Yeah, what's I, happening? Well, first of all, I'm super excited to have uh, Heidi in studio today, and we're going to talk a lot about stress and the. We talk about the mailbag, and so I had a conversation with uh, an individual this week who who talked about our show and said, you know, I really like the show but I kind of get stressed out hearing what everybody's doing. If they're doing triathlons or they're doing marathons or doing all this stuff and that's not them. Right. And they're not there yet. And sure. so it's kind of stresses them out. So the conversation that I had with this individual was, Hey, cause they feel like they have to be perfect. Right. And the, how do I do it? How do I start? How do I get there? And then if I, ah, if I don't do it, so there was a lot of felt like I was sensing a lot of stress behind that. And then I was thinking, you know what? everybody's different, everybody's going to get on their journey and be on their journey on their at their own time. But what I, what I did share is like, for me, like 80% of the time, I want to try to be doing the right thing. So 20% no, but I don't know, Heidi, what do you say about something like that when somebody's feeling a little stressed or overwhelmed because all they're thinking about is, oh my gosh, do I got to work out? How do I got to eat right? All that other stuff.
2: Oh, wow. Well, you sure brought up a big topic out of the gate. And I... Uh, have compassion for and empathy and totally understand what your listener is saying. Listen, at the end of the day, I, I think I would divide health into five key areas. And and I think in Western culture, we overemphasize two of them. So I think health, and, and this ties right into what we're going to be talking about today, both emotional health and physical health. There's five key factors. And those five factors are we need really high quality sleep, We need really high-quality nourishment, we need really high-quality movement, we need high-quality hydration, and we need high-quality relaxation, right, Mm -hmm. five Mm -hmm. things. And in our culture, the two that you just named, I think, get a lot of focus, diet and exercise. Uh, And all of these things, in in Heidi's utopia, sleep and nourishment and hydration and relaxation and movement, they would be the focus of our life, but in a joyful way. And what do we do in our culture? We try to find the right rules to, to use your Mm -hmm. words, perfectly follow, right? We try to find the right rules and eat by those rules and find the right exercise and in a rigid and disciplined way attend to that. So to your listener, I would say it's okay if um, all your energy isn't going toward training for a triathlon, But how are you getting joyful movement into your life? What does that look like for you? Because it doesn't have to be a triathlon. It just has to be nourishing movement. And if you are in a a stage of life or have busy days or just don't have energy to make movement, the key focus, well, then how do you turn to those other four areas and see where you can cultivate quality and well-being in those We don't have to rely totally on diet and exercise to feel good, right? Right. And there are weeks, March is one of them. It's sunny today here in Minnesota, (laughs) um, but it's been dreary and wet and cold, and I don't want to exercise either. (laughs) Uh, And on those days, then, how do you put energy into increasing the quality of your sleep? How do you uh, just spend a little more time hydrating? How do you simplify and eat just a little more cleanly mm-hmm. on the days you just can't get yourself to do the movement piece?
0: Yeah, I love it. That's a great. That's a great answer, Kevin, to that to that question because we are going to have a lot of different people at different places uh, when it comes to their health, um, their overall health. And so I would just say to that uh, to that person, that individual, I really appreciated them opening up to us and saying yeah, that because cool. we're not always, you know, we're not always going to have. Um, the triathlon or the the marathon person on here or the, you know, big buff guy like myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like we always talk about,
1: right? Everybody's on their own journey and, right. and uh, we want to acknowledge that and honor it and, and um, it's okay.
0: Yeah, it is. It's great. So that, Heidi, that was a great, uh, great answer to that. So, Kevin, where are you? You know, we've been talking the last couple of episodes is cold therapy. Can you give the listeners an update on your cold therapy? I've been doing horrible this week. In fact, in fact, my
1: wife asked me this morning, I got out of the shower, and she said, did you do your cold shower? I said, no. She said, why? I said, because I don't want to. <laughs> I'm like, it's cold. So I, I've been struggling this
0: week. Heidi, how are you? Because I've, I've been doing a lot of reading and research on the cold therapy and the like one to two minutes of a cold cold shower uh, as you're going to get out, and the, the the health benefits behind that, what do you have any experience with that?
2: Well, I I think shifting temperature from an, a mental health standpoint is an excellent technique, and uh, I'm not an expert on kids and child development, but I know that one of the things we do to change the emotion of a, of a baby is we either warm them up by wrapping them in a blanket and holding them close. Or uh, sometimes we step outside and get a little hit of cold air to kind of shock a, a different uh, emotional state. Or, um, you know what, if if you are angry, we say, go cool off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and if if you're depressed and down, uh, we, we say, snuggle up and, and warm up and drink some warm tea. So I think we very intuitively use temperature as something to adjust our emotions, Um I would just argue that sometimes we need cold and sometimes we need hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, it, it, yeah, it does it, that does depend? Well, Kevin, I'm glad you're trying to dip into that and and do that. I know that uh, we're. I'm looking at uh, a guest coming on the show, and I don't know when I'm going to get him landed, but he is a big believer in the the cold baths and the cold stuff. So we will uh, learn more about that as we continue on our journey here. But again, I would say, Kevin, the week's been good. I'm super excited because we have Heidi on the show. We're going to talk stress. We're going to talk emotions. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, the last couple of days, and as a, as a principal, we're both principals, and the principals that are out there listening, or just the people in general in March, it can be a very stressful time because the, the the seasons are changing. There's a lot of different things happening in our world. So I'm excited to talk about the stress part of it, but... Uh, that's how I'm doing. How about you? What's uh what's going on in your world? Yeah, I'm gonna echo that. Um this
1: week's been a little stressful. So it has definitely taken a little toll on uh my consistency with things. Um I actually uh dialed back what I what I did this morning because I could tell my body was maybe not feeling things. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna dial it back and I'm not gonna go those extra few miles and
0: um that's a change too, because I would tell you that like the younger Kevin would have probably pushed himself, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. you're doing a good job of going yeah. inside and listening to your body. That's yeah. great. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, hey, yeah. you know what? Should we should we introduce Dr. Heidi? Uh
1: we've already heard her a little bit and she's already she's already enlightened us, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna officially introduce her. Excited to have Dr. Heidi. Kopacek. Oh,
2: you did well. Kopacek. Kopacek
1: (laughs) on the show today. (laughs) Heidi is a licensed psychologist who practices a holistic approach to emotional health. Um, Dr. Kopacek is trained in mindfulness and meditation, nutritional interventions for anxiety and depression, breathing techniques, and body awareness. Her specialty is mind-body-spirit approach to resilience. She is also a certified yoga instructor who teaches yoga design specifically for emotional health. It's always great to learn from other leaders in the field of mental health and wellness. So we want to give a warm welcome to Heidi. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us today.
2: Well, well thank you for that fancy intro.
1: <laughs> Jason wrote it.
0: I've been uh, well. We've been doing research, Heidi. on yeah, we've you know you've you've written a book. We're going to talk about your book here. But um, and you've also been on a, another podcast. But so part of our show that just kind of gets everybody going here is I, we like to call it the random question of the show. And so last episode's question was, do you, are you more of an early to bed or do you stay up late? So are you more of a morning person or a, a night owl?
2: That's the random question. Uh, well, I that's am, last week's episode, so last I want, but week's I
0: wanted to know what, what, what the listeners 100% wanted.
2: early bird. I am a, in the winter, 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. gal.
0: Oh wow, you're yeah. with a speaking couple- <laughs> my kind of language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin is the same way. I'm, 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 I'm. If I, yeah, nine o'clock is usually when I'm when I'm going down and getting up. So that's good to know about Heidi here. She is uh, early to bed. Okay, so this episode's random question of the show. Okay, when you're at home, would you rather wear socks, slippers, or go barefoot?
2: Ooh, great question. Um, absolutely cozy socks. I have fleece socks, hand-knit socks, buffalo wool socks, mismatched socks. I am a hundred percent socks.
0: You are socks. Okay. Kevin, what about you? When you're at home, what do you do? I'm all over the map. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I enjoy not wearing socks and then, uh, snuggling up next to the fire and kind of keeping my feet by the fire. So I like that. Um, but I, but I
0: wear socks too. I'm, I'm, equally all over. Oh yeah. I, I'm barefoot. I love to go barefoot. And, um, a lot of that has to do with, especially in the summer, um, the grounding. I like to ground with the, uh, with nature, with the universe, all that good stuff. But I love to be barefoot, uh, when I'm at home. So I was doing some, uh, reading on this and there's a lot of different things out there about, uh, is it okay to go barefoot in your house or what are the, the benefits of uh, going, um, barefoot at your house. So when you kick off your shoes, the benefits of walking barefoot, you have better control of your foot's position when it hits the ground. You also have, um, improves your neural input to the brain from receptors in your muscles and joints, which can lead to better awareness of your body's position in space and may even reduce pain. So there are some benefits of going, uh, barefoot, um, Kevin. So anything you want to add to that?
1: No, I think it's, I think it's good. I, I, you know, I'd probably go more barefoot in the summer for sure. Um, wear a lot of flip-flops and, and, um, you know, walk around without, without shoes on, but yeah, probably more socks in the winter.
0: Okay. Pretty normal probably. Yeah. Again, for me, I could, I I think people, sometimes I could wear sandals in the, you know what I'll do sometimes in the, in the, even in the winter, Um, if I'm feeling stressed out, going back to what Heidi said, that hot and the cold, I'm feeling stressed out. I go barefoot out in the snow just Mm. for a few minutes and just feel that. And then I go back in the house.
1: Call me crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Our previous,
0: uh, uh, guest talked about that. Jenny. Oh yeah, she did. That's right. She did talk about that. That'll be coming out eventually. Yep. Yep. So, hey, how about, well, first of all, Heidi, thanks for playing along for the random question of the day. And it's good to know that you like your nice, comfy socks. When you Well,
2: we have good representation here. Yeah,
0: it's yeah, like there's a little diversity. And I like that because, again, we're going to go back to what we're talking about is that everybody's a little different in how they do things. And there's I don't think there's a right way to do things. And so um, that's great. Kevin, let's get going on these questions here, huh? Let's, yeah. Yeah.
1: Heidi, why don't you just jump in and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where did you grow up, where did you go to school, and ultimately what got you where you are today into the profession? yeah, in a podcast with two principals. (laughs) Um, Well, I
2: did grow up in Minnesota. I graduated from the University of Minnesota. And the first part of my adult life, um, I wasn't psychology. I uh, was trained in teaching English as a second language. And so the 20s were a a whirlwind of teaching English overseas. And then I would come back to the States in the summer. Uh, Specifically, I would uh, go to uh, Alaska and work the tourist season there. So it was a really fun chapter of life. I eventually ended staying in Alaska, uh, lived there for several years, and just kind of cobbled together a life. Didn't have a real career direction and then something happened that changed my life, changed all of our lives for those of us who are old enough to remember. 911 uh, happened, mm-hmm. September mm-hmm. 11th, and um, that at the time was my first, up until COVID, <laughs> was my first world experience that shook me and all of us to the core, and it changed our lives in a lot of ways. And for me, there was just a wake up call that I did not want to live so far away from my my roots and my family. So, after 911 happened, I, I reoriented and moved back to Minnesota and decided to reset in other ways and decided I want a little bit different career direction. I, I am just going to insert a little thing though. Having taught English all over the world in a variety of school systems, I know our American educational system has a lot that it's contending with, but it's just, it is world class. Mm-hmm. I am just so impressed with the variety of resources that we have available, the variety of education, how we try to meet the needs of so many different learning styles and type of students. Um, so I, I know uh, that educators are suffering and that the, the system has a lot to contend with, but wow, wow, we have a world-class system here. And I'm really proud to to, to be a part of, a, a, I'm getting patriotic, but a country that has such a diversified yeah. educational system. But I decided I wanted a new career direction, wasn't totally sure, but I had this niggling experience that kept coming up. When I lived in Alaska, I had a variety of jobs. One of them was working for a nonprofit, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and I had a coworker who was going through graduate school to study to become a licensed marriage and family therapist, which I knew nothing about, wasn't all that interested in. But I watched her transform over the two years that she went to graduate school. I saw her become more confident. She had a certain lightness of being. And when work stressors came up in that particular job environment, I just, I saw most of us kind of flounder around with stress. And she had a, a way of tending to it that was inspiring. And I, I wanted whatever she had, you know, whatever juice she was drinking in the morning, I wanted to know <laughs> the brand name. And so when I was trying to reorient career-wise, I I thought, well, it's time to go for it. Now, I chose the route of psychologist, um, and the goal was to get whatever this colleague had. Now, I'm going to give a spoiler alert. When you study psychology, uh, you don't learn the meaning of life and how to feel (laughs) euphoric and giddy all the time. Uh, And in fact, you learn some things that bring a lot of stress and anxiety, like stats and research methods and how to write like an academician. Uh, But I did learn at the end of the day uh, some tips and techniques for managing my emotional life, and mostly I learned uh, how to process hard things, both from the past and the present or things that I'm afraid of happening in the future, how to process hard things from a variety of angles. So it, it was a really great experience. I graduated and uh, I am a counseling psychologist at Healthwise Behavioral Health. I've been here almost 10 years. and I work with all, I work with adults, but uh, I, I don't know what normal is. I just know that uh, the adults I work with aren't abnormal. It's adults that are going through transition. Uh, adults that are recovering from past hard experiences, adults that are feeling angst or stress about possible future experiences, adults who just want to explore how to live more fully and find more purpose and meaning in life. Um, So it's been a really wonderful experience. It's uh, adults, and we put our heads together and try to figure out what you do with hard things.
1: That's really good. I would love to know that.
0: <laughs>
1: and maybe I'll learn, right? Yeah, well, maybe I'll learn. That's what we're on,
0: buddy. We're on the journey right now and we're trying to figure it out.
2: Let's figure it out this hour. That's right. Okay, there we
0: go. Yeah. Can you, uh, Heidi, I know we are grateful to have you on the show, but you wrote this book and I have it in front of me. It's called Soothe, Your Mind, Body, Spirit Guide for Dealing with Crappy Emotions. So tell us about that. Like what, what brought that on and, and maybe a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Well, I'm laughing a little bit if you can't see it in the audience. So that book came out October of 2019. <laughs> and in fact, the, I, I remember pretty much, I think it was the day after I was able to Google my name and find it on Amazon and have that little yeah. thrill. I remember the day after hearing of this thing called covid <laughs> this distant thing on the other side of the planet and kind of wondering why are people making such a big deal of this? And little did I know that the world was about to change. Uh, and I say that because, uh, listen, this, I'm, I'm proud of this book. It's a it's a simple little read. It's a great, it's a great intro. Read. It's funny. You got Aww, laughter. It's,
0: I mean, you, you bring it to a very uh, just uh, relevant, um, just that you can meet people's needs with it. So I I, th- I thought it was great.
2: Well, I sure appreciate that. But it, it's a very light book, isn't it? And it's mm-hmm. a great intro for people wanting to get an understanding of what a mind-body-spirit approach to life is. Uh, but it's also very lighthearted. And I think the world has changed. And I have a feeling we'll address that or talk about that a little bit this hour. Um, and I, I probably would write a slightly different book now. But but it is a, a fun intro of what is a mind body spirit approach to emotional health.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. And the, just the whole holistic approach to defrazzling from a 21st century stress and negativity. And I think so much of, you know, I, I'm going to speak for myself and as a, my role as a principal, it's a very stressful job. Being in education is stressful. If I don't care what you do, if you're a teacher, you're a para, you're an assistant, whatever you are doing, stress is all around and the emotions are all around us. And so I'm looking forward to having more conversation with that. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit, Kevin.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we like to talk to our guests about, um, you know, there's so many different aspects to health and wellness, um, as we all know. Um, But one of the things we're curious about, um, what do your routines look like? What does a typical morning look like? What does a typical evening look like? Does it look different on a weekend? Do you try to maintain that consistency?
2: Yeah, well, Kevin, it sounds like we're um, comrades in terms of we both wake up early. Oh, yeah. So that makes a day look very <laughs> yep. different. Yep. Uh, I really do believe daily routines are individuals, So by no means do I think my routines are the right ones. Uh, and I don't have children, so my routines look... Very, very different from the routines of somebody who's in the the family stages of life. But um, mornings are pretty set for me uh, seven days a week. I do wake up at four a.m. Typically, um, I, about two weeks ago, got an espresso coffee maker. Oh, aren't they the <laughs> best? The best. <laughs> and uh, if you want a way to get you to actually leap out of bed in the morning, yes. get a really good coffee yes. machine because yes. it's it's pretty easy to to get myself. Downstairs into that coffee. Um, I start my day with an informal meditation uh, because my meditation practice, I go through a variety of different styles and phases, but my meditation is to enjoy one cup of coffee before going into productive mode and to enjoy deep breathing before going into productive mode. Uh, So I sit down with my good cup of coffee and I enjoy breathing, Uh, but that's easier said than done. Uh, Because a lot of things get in the way of enjoying breathing. And so I just kind of uh, study that. And usually what gets in the way of me enjoying my cup of coffee and my deep breathing is starting to plan the day. Mm -hmm. So I start to train myself how can I plan the day later and enjoy my cup of coffee. Um, And the things that get in the way of me enjoying my cup of coffee are trying to solve problems that don't have solutions. Mm. Just spin on those and so then I try to train my brain that I don't have to always be solving problems and I can enjoy my cup of coffee. So it's it's a great part of the morning, but it's crazy, nuts hard to enjoy a cup of coffee and some deep breathing. But that's that's yeah. my start. I,
0: yeah, because I, I think that's great. And I think it's a great way to start your morning. It, and sometimes we get up, we, we just want to grab our phones or whatever. So when you're saying, is it just letting your mind kind of go quiet and you're just Breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, or counting one to three, three and three, two, one out, or what does that look like?
2: Pretty much how you started, Jason. It's, It's just actually enjoying the experience of breathing. And when we enjoy breathing, it very naturally does what it's meant to do. We lengthen our breath, we slow it down we put a little vitality into our inhales, we start to calm our exhales. So when I just focus on enjoying breathing, it very naturally does what breathing is meant to do. And wow, when you really pay attention to any small thing, it's amazing the beauty of it. And it's amazing when you sip a cup of coffee slowly, how good it tastes. Mm. Um, And all of the various levels, you know, usually we gulp I'm guilty of this as well, sometimes gulp down coffee in the hopes that we'll get the energy later, but uh, the taste of it's incredible and multi layered. The temperature is incredible, Mm -hmm. holding a mug. So anything when we slow down and savor becomes an entire experience, but I'm amazed how the mind distracts us from those everyday beautiful things.
0: And really, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. just keep yourself in that present moment, right? And we've talked so much about... Uh, getting frazzled and you're you're worried about the future stuff or you're thinking about the past stuff and you're totally not even with it. And what you're describing, I love that. You are just staying present. You're keeping your mind, your body, your spirit all interconnected. And there you are with your cup of coffee. That's a great way. Kevin, I think we should start doing that in the morning. I feel <laughs> I like I'm should. rushing out of the... Well,
1: you're making me, as you're talking about this, you're making me think about m- my morning. I I... Like, you know, like you said, we we enjoy uh, getting up at that time. There's something beautiful about the world when everyone else is asleep. (laughs) And um, I had an opportunity today to uh, have a little more relaxed morning due to a work thing, um, personal thing. And so my intention was to do what you're just talking about. And that could not have been further from the truth as to what happened. Things that kind of were out of my control ended up, um, kind of getting into my mind and I was not very good at, at navigating that. Mm-hmm. And so my, my morning was completely disrupted and it, it kind of threw me off for the whole day. And so I'm looking for, <laughs> for some, uh, advice and some insight into how to maybe navigate that a little bit better. Cause, um, I probably could,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Enjoying a cup of coffee is certainly easier said than done, isn't it?
0: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And I think too, um, when I think about that, what I've been trying to do and work, and this has been a work in progress for me for probably over five years now, is practicing meditation and the mindfulness piece. And so even when I'm at work, I'm trying to, and Kevin, you know this, I I'll sometimes talk to myself, like, get yourself back. Get yourself back into yourself, your body. And because so much at work, there's so many things coming at you from, if it's students, if it's parents, if it's staff, if it's your own stuff, whatever it is, and it is stressful. But how how can I keep bringing my, or focusing on my breath or bringing it back so I can take that deep breath and feel where I'm at at that present moment or feel where my feet are, be where my feet are. So I, I am trying to work on that every single day. And it is, it is, it's a, it's a struggle, but it's something that I want to keep coming back to um, day in and day out.
2: Well, I love how you describe that. And maybe we can even take that one step further. Uh, all of us at this point have been exposed at least loosely to mindfulness. And and some people are deeper practitioners, myself included, but I'm in awe of how mindfulness has been described in really woo-woo and esoteric yeah. ways, mm-hmm. yep. right? It's a lot of bee bamboo floating in the wind kind <laughs> of descriptions. And and we do kind of, our basic Western description of mindfulness is to be in the present moment, but I even find that really confusing Because first of all, how big is a moment, right? I just missed that one. I just missed that one. It kind of stresses me out Mm -hmm. to try to think of being in the moment because I don't totally know what that means. And the moment has so many aspects to it. Um, we're breathing in the moment. Am I supposed to focus on that? But I'm having thoughts. Am I supposed to focus on my thinking? Am I supposed to focus on the people in front of me or my five senses, right? What aspect of the moment and what happens when there's something to th- in the future that I actually have to plan for? Am I being bad when I do that? So it gets really confusing. So I like the description of mindfulness and maybe more serious practitioners will tell me this is incorrect, but it works for me. And I think uh, this is what be- might be what you were asking for, I like to say mindfulness is lightly aiming my attention where it best serves me. Can Hmm. I say that again? Lightly aiming my attention where it best serves me. Now, notice I say lightly because attention can have all different attitudes and natures. Um, I tend to have sometimes a really harsh, uber-focused attention, white-knuckled attention, I call it. A lot of people have really scattered attention where their attention just goes to whatever is sparkly or loudest. Um, And lightly aiming our attention is one key thing that makes it different from just focus and makes it mindfulness. And then aiming it where it best serves me for me makes more sense than aiming it toward the moment. Because sometimes what best serves me is aiming it toward my cup of coffee Mm -hmm. sometimes what best serves me is focusing on solving a problem that's right in front of me Mm -hmm. sometimes what best serves me is sitting down and planning for the future but whatever i'm doing am i aiming my attention where i want it to go and it's amazing to me how when i try to get into a mindfulness mode how often um, my attention isn't going where it best serves me
0: Mm.
1: Can I ask a follow-up question? You go right ahead, Kevin. Because I am, I am just, my mind is just racing as you're as you're making these statements, and I'm thinking to myself. First of all, I love that definition and that that um, visual. What do you say to the individual who is um, maybe finds himself in a career where it's difficult to? feel that they have the ability to lightly <laughs> um, mm-hmm. address their attention where, where that best serves them. Um, you know, I'm kind of thinking of our career. I'm kind of thinking of our jobs. Sometimes you are juggling knives on fire, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what Crisis. it feels like. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and As great as it would be to lightly, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, make that attention, it just sometimes doesn't feel like it's possible and what would you and maybe there's not a good answer i don't know if there is a solution but what would you say to that
2: i would say you're probably right okay that accessing mindfulness and feeling good isn't always possible and sometimes we just survive situations or gut through them but as often as possible where can you bring a little more ease to your breath, even though you're juggling, I love that knives with fire, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as possible, where can you step in and say what best, where does my attention best serve me now? Yeah. Right? Uh, and how do you slow down the tone of your voice, the speed that you're talking, the speed of your thoughts? How do you soften unnecessary tension that you're holding in your jaw and your shoulders and your gut? Uh, it, it's not necessarily possible to get to this Zen guru state, but I do believe we can always be accessing a little more slowness, softness, and focus, even if we don't fully achieve it.
1: So I'm hearing you can always do better.
2: <laughs> always. You can always
1: do better, a little uh, bit.
2: Or I would uh, better stresses us out. Um, I would say we could always keep trying to make okay. it simpler and easily, okay. easier and slower.
0: I like okay. that. That's good. I like good. that a lot. All right, Heidi, can you talk to us a little bit about the unique psychological impact of stress? Because as Kevin and I were talking about in our field of work and education, and I don't even, it could be in any field of business or whatever job that it is, but the stress, the impact of the stress, could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely. Well, you're getting into my field now, so not only can I talk about it, like give me two mics and let me go <laughs> well, <let's do> it. <laughs> um, and, and interject at any time, but uh, I'm, I'm going to back into that question yeah. a little bit uh, because I, we all know what stress is, but I want us before I talk about kind of how stress impacts us and what we do with it, I want us to get on the same page about where stress comes from. Uh, which seems like an obvious answer. But at the end of the day, we have stress coming at us from four different places. Uh, very obviously, our circumstances is one source of stress, especially uh, in your profession, right? There is stress coming at you from all angles. So our circumstances is one a source that is generating the hard things in our life. And it's not just our current circumstances. Uh, We can have stressors that happened in the past uh, that are still influencing how we respond to the present moment. And we're even starting to learn that stressors in generations past are impacting us currently. So um, stress is happening in what's happening in our outer world. And most of us are trying to manage our stress by... uh, by changing what's happening in our circumstances, right? If your job is stressful, you try to change your job. If your relationship is stressful, you try to change your relationship. And unfortunately, there's so much happening in our outer world that's causing stress uh, that we'll never get to a place where we get it all under control. But it uh, it, it is one source of stress. Um, there are three others that I don't think we address as often in the mental health profession, or as a collective culture, uh, the second source of stress is the physical body. Um, when we have a body going back to those five health things that is rested and nourished and moved and hydrated and relaxed, we feel balanced, and that sets the foundation for good emotions. Uh, when we have a balance that a body that isn't getting sleep, that is Uh, being kind of doped up all day on caffeine and Mountain Dew, that's eating processed foods, uh, that is numbing to electronics, which we've got to get to at some point Mm -hmm. in this conversation, Uh, we are experiencing stress. So we experience stress when there is imbalance in the body. Uh, And this is where the world of psychiatry comes in, and they try to... uh, affect stress by affecting the body, but they try to do it with medication, which I have nothing against. Mm -hmm. But I do want a world where we try to balance the body in multiple Mm -hmm. ways, right? Uh, With lifestyle, Uh, medication can be an option or a part of that, but I, I think there are lots of ways to balance the body and reduce the stress. Uh, the third source of stress, I'm going to loosely call the mind. And um, in a mind-body-spirit approach, the mind is the part of ourselves. It It's where we hold our rules, our goals, our standards, and our expectations. This is the part of ourselves that says, I need to, I have to, I've got to, I should. I need to, I have to, I've got to, I should. And does that sound familiar yeah, absolutely. to anybody <laughs> here? I'm going to argue the mind and trying to meet those expectations is one of the biggest and most predominant sources of modern day stress. We have all of these rules and expectations for ourselves and others. And when we meet them, we get the tiniest hit of a good emotion before our brain goes right to the next need to, have to, got to, should. Um, And so it's really hard, but the mind is a source of stress then, right? Circumstances, body mind, uh, meaning we are stressed when our rules, standards, goals, and expectations are not met. And the fourth source of stress I'm going to loosely call spirit. Uh, And spirit is our higher self. It's all the things that are human in us. It's our ability to connect and be creative and um, have humor and have wisdom. And when we have a life that wakes up our spirit, we feel good, And when we have a life that doesn't engage our spirit, our purpose, our meaning, our deeper values, our desire to connect, we feel crappy. Uh, So all day, every day, things are happening in our circumstances, our body, our mind, and our spirit Uh, And uh, stress is being generated in four areas and good feelings are being generated in four areas. But can you see why it's so hard to navigate stress on Mm -hmm. a day-to-day basis when it's occurring in four different areas, rapid fire all day long? Um, When we experience stress, most of us have have heard this, but maybe not in a psychological way. We will have one of three emotional responses, all of us, 100% of us. When there is a stressor, we will have a stress response. And no amount of mindfulness or coffee drinking or running, (laughs) unfortunately, I think, can really change that. Uh, We'll either have an initial fight response to stress, meaning we'll feel anything from niggling annoyance to all-out rage. We'll have a flight response to stress. That's anything from a little bit of worry to all-out panic. Or we'll have a freeze response to stress. That's anything from feeling blah, numb, meh to sad or all-out depressed, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. So mm-hmm. when there's a stressor, we will have one of these three stress responses. And sometimes we have what's called a mixed state where all three of them fire at once. And that's when you feel things like shame or mm. grief. And those more complicated emotions. All three systems are firing at once and that gets pretty complicated. So many people have heard that we have fight, flight, or freeze, but here's where it gets psychologically even more... Uh, overwhelming, interesting, depressing, I don't know what After our fight, flight, or freeze response Our brain will go in one of two directions See if you recognize either one of those uh, When there's a stressor, we will either One, spin and obsess on the stress Or two, we will numb to the mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. Right? We will spin on stress or we will numb And what are you guys? Are you spinners or numbers?
0: I'm both. I, there'll be times when I, when I just numb it out, and then there'll be times when I just spin. So it, I, for me, it depends. So, but the, the key thing for me that I'm learning is to be able to recognize that and to be able to notice that when I'm in that state. So that's what I've been really trying to work I on. I think
1: I'm probably... I, I, I would probably say I'm both, but if I'm being honest with myself, when I'm trying to numb really, I'm just spinning. I'm just doing it quietly. <laughs> like, you, do you know what I mean? Like,
2: Absolutely. Numbing is just a way to quell the spinning. Yeah. And that's probably true for, for everyone. If you're a number, you're probably just suppressing the spin, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of us recognize both. Uh, and and the, the goal then of psychological stress management is instead of spinning, we need to process. And instead of numbing, we need to restore or revitalize, right? It's just a shift of the dial. But wow, just like enjoying that cup of coffee, it is crazy nuts hard to do that. The brain doesn't want to process stress. It wants to spin. And it even goes more specific than that. All of our brains do the same thing. If we're spinning on stress, we're going in, in one of a few directions. Uh, we either go towards shame why is this hard thing happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? What am I doing wrong? How come I'm always in this place? What's wrong me, right? Big
0: critic, right? Just, uh,
2: Oh, you got it. Yeah. Um, some of us go toward blame. Uh, they did this. They caused this. That's not allowed. That's not fair. <laughs> A lot of us in social media impacts go into compare. How mm-hmm. come other people don't have to deal with this? right? How come it's just me? I'm all alone. Other people don't understand this. Uh, Other groups of people don't understand this. Um, Shame, blame, or compare. And and we might be right in in our shaming, blaming, and maybe we did do something dumb. Maybe somebody else did cause us that stress. Maybe there is unfairness. The problem is trying to find A wise and sustainable solution will never, ever, 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 ever happen while we're spinning on shame, blame, or compare. We'll just never get to a wise place from there. And to get to a wise place, we have to shift our thinking to what thoughts help me and what actions help me. It's two simple little questions, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds really easy. That's all resilience is, is, and that's all problem solving is is a collection of thoughts and actions that help. But instead, the brain just wants to go and get lost in shame, blame, compare, justification. And we're all the same in that way. And all of us, our brains resist processing stress by asking what thoughts and what actions actually help. And numbing is the same thing. Um, All of us know what numbing is like. Mm -hmm. And can you guys guess some of the common numbing agents of our modern-day world?
1: I mean, I guess I would say um, losing yourself on on technology. You got it. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah, that's the biggest one, and it terrifies me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just the mindless scrolling. The, mindless scrolling. Yeah.
2: That. Uh, there's no net gain from it. Right. right? We're going from stress to this puky, numb, blah, frazzled feeling. Right. There's no gain from it. Is this yeah, just
1: a, a a a safety mechanism? Of your brain to, to, to.
2: I, you know, I don't know. I think, I think that the abstract, the abstract nature of modern day stressors is just too much for our clunky processing system. That's my theory. I think our system works really well when there are concrete threats right in front of us. But the abstract nature of modern day stress, I just think we haven't evolved to it. Do you I,
1: have any, I'm sorry. No, you keep going. <laughs> sorry. Something. Do you have any insight into, you talk about the three um, responses, the fight, the mm-hmm. flight, the, the freeze. Is there any insight as far as um, psychology goes as to why an individual responds one way compared to another? Oh. Gosh, is that... that is
2: such a compelling question. All we have is theory, okay? right? And all we have is evolutionary theory. But you, we can play a little game here because I think it's intuitive for all of us. Any idea why we would be wired to get angry?
1: Um, safety. Yeah, safety. Yes. yeah.
2: Anger gives us the power to fight for change, right? Anger gives us power. And that's one of the reasons anger is kind of a hard one to navigate. Because even though anger is uncomfortable, the power feels good. And so when someone tells you to calm down, they're telling you to give up this little nice surge of power that sure. you just had. So anger gives us the power to fight for change. Unfortunately, our clunky nervous system doesn't always give us that nice dose of power for situations where it's useful to use it. Okay? Um, our flight response, it also gives us a really uncomfortable fuel, but it gives us a fuel to try to get us to a place of safety. And think of our language about this. We say our thoughts are racing when we're anxious, right? They're yep. racing to try to get us away from the problem and our heartbeats. beats. Um, so we're, we need a flight response. It's trying to get us to a safe place. A freeze response isn't as intuitive. Do you have any guesses why we're wired to get low, low sad, oh blah? The tougher one.
0: I, I might say that's just overwhelmed. The system has been overwhelmed. I don't know.
2: Yep, that's what causes it. But there's a good evolutionary reason that we're wired for that. So think of a child or an animal when it gets physically sick. It Mm -hmm. gets a little down emotionally, Mm -hmm. right? We can see that in our pets and our kids. And uh, it it gets down because it is trying, uh, our system is trying to disconnect us from the stimulation of the outer world so that we can slow down and heal. And this is true of emotional health as well. When we go low, blah, numb, depressed, that is our system trying to disengage us from all of the stimulation of the outer world and go inward so that we can heal. Uh, There's a purpose for it. It's healthy sometimes to feel disconnected from the outer world because that gives us space to heal. Unfortunately, we don't live in a world that allows us to separate from the outer world and heal. And when it comes to being low- for emotional reasons, we don't necessarily have the tools, even if we were able yeah. to separate from the world, to get mm. ourselves to a healed place.
1: That makes me think of uh, our, our most recent guest. He talked about um, when there's a um, conflict with a student, and um, one of the first things he tells the parents is, take their phone, oh, take their phone. It. So they are, not, and I didn't, I didn't think, I mean, I mm-hmm. thought about it, but but what you just said makes perfect sense. You're you you keep them at home. You're trying to keep them safe, but they're engaged with the very thing that they're is causing numbing. the harm, right? And you so get rid of that. But it makes sense too. Like I'm thinking about somebody who um, is maybe going through something difficult, and they're disengaging maybe socially. So yeah, you know what? I'm not going to go out to dinner with you tonight. You know, I'm going to stay home. And 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 uh, I can see where it's and allowing not that person
2: necessarily a bad thing, right? Unfortunately, right. we have to. So. Yes, we take away the phone, um, but we, we've also got to teach people. Uh, and, and I don't think psychology necessarily have the answer. What to do then with that separation yeah. from that outer world? And you talk about the phone. You know, we have other common numbing agents too. We numb through food is a huge one mm-hmm. for all of us. We all know what that looks like. Uh, obviously, we numb through alcohol. Mm-hmm. Some people, drugs or cigarettes. Um, but what scares me about the phone is I don't think we've ever had such an accessible force or such an accessible source, I should say, of numbing available to us. Mm -hmm. It's available 24-7, and it's incredibly effective, and we can get lost in it, uh, where the other things, food, alcohol, Mm -hmm. cigarettes – uh, those are short in duration and not as easily accessed. So i just don't think we have anything in us that knows how to mitigate having this constant and easy source of numbing available to us.
0: Yeah. yeah that, that brings me in when I think of, when I think of adults, I think of so much of when you talk about numbing or being overwhelmed and in a role, uh, let's just say as a person of education or a person in their job, they're just overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with life. They're overwhelmed with their job. Maybe they're overwhelmed with things going on at home. And it's really easy to numb and and forget about all that stuff. But there's also the point that I want to talk a little bit about is that I and I'm gonna talk personally here. This is me I can go through a week or I can, I can get to a point where, and I'll tell, I'll tell my wife, Becky, I'll say, I just need a day of quiet by myself because I have nothing. I don't have anything left. And I, cause I, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is I want to fill back my, my bucket again. I need to fill back up. And so that to me is something that I just know as somebody who works in a field where there's there I feel we're just bombarded by emotions all day long and so what I'm trying to do now is like tell myself it is okay that you want to spend time by yourself on a Sunday with nobody around because you really need to fill yourself back up that's hard for people to do and that was hard for me to get to a point to be able to even say that because I thought well is something wrong with me
2: it's interesting in our culture how resistant we are to restoration. Um, it, there are there are two, I'm going to tie in a little yoga psychology, if you don't mind. Perfect, because that was the next said. thing I was going
0: to go into. <laughs>
2: there are all different types of yoga, uh, but they all kind of fall into two categories that we loosely call yin and yang yoga, yoga. Uh, It's really yin and yang, but when you are trained in yoga school, (laughs) you say yin and yang instead of yin and yang. Um, Yang yogas are all, for for my yoga lovers out there, this is vinyasa yoga, ashtanga yoga, um, power yoga, any yoga uh, that forges energy through a kind of aggressive or forceful breath and movement. So in yang yoga... You cultivate energy by firing up your breath and firing up movement. Yin yoga is the exact opposite. In Yin yogas include yin yoga, restorative yoga, soma yoga. In these yogas, you create energy by cultivating space for energy to organically form. Does that make sense? So in one, we forge and create energy. In the other, we create space so that energy can naturally form. Form, and we are in a young world, right? We yes. believe in making things happen through mm-hmm. force and will. Yep. And this is a perfectly valid approach to achieving things, getting vitality, energizing. But you can't have drive a car with a gas pedal only. We need a brake too. <laughs> And a break means we cultivate space and quiet and stillness for energy to form. So when you're craving that space, you are craving yin, right? Yes. And um, even when I said the five areas of health, which is sleep and nourishment and movement and hydration and relaxation, how often do we really include relaxation, which is that cultivation of space, so that energy can naturally form? How often do we really take relaxation? That relaxation is a serious part of our health regimen. I
0: don't. Often. No, and Not. I would say that, and I, the, the, like you said, the the world that we're living in is so fast paced, so driven, so, um, like Kevin was saying, these technologies, the smartphones are, we're constantly bombarded and. When do we take that time to unplug and just let your that natural energy start to build back up? And that, to me, I, I absolutely love that. And that's something that I continually work on every single day because uh, I know that if I'm not going to do that, I'm going to start. What I'll do is I'll start, what I, and this is, this is a, another personal side of this, is I'll still start eating and I'll put There's on the pounds the numbing, and I'll right? numb. And I've been there. I mm-hmm. Trust me. I, and Kevin yeah. has seen, I mean, we've, this is why we're doing, this is why we want to do the show is because there are different ways you can do things to help yourself. But I think that relaxation key and just letting your mind, your body and spirit just sit, just sit with it for a little bit and feel it um, is something that I know I have benefited from, but I'm still learning how to do that.
2: Well, it, you know, we we spend so much time when we talk about health focusing on weight, and I won't pretend to be a weight expert. But and then we also assume that diet and exercise are the only ingredients in weight, and yet we have research to support that people who get full night's sleep and go to bed before midnight tend to weigh twenty mm-hmm. pounds less than people who stay up late and get poor sleep. Um, we when we put different forms of exercise right next to yoga, which isn't high impact, you know, high weight bearing. Uh, we find that the benefits of weight are about exactly the same. So there is a reality that exercise is good for weight, but so is deeply restoring and cultivating energy.
0: Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that. Well,
2: I'm going to tie into that a little bit because what you just brought up there, you're just craving this restorative time. You know, we're, we're all still reeling from 2020 and probably mm-hmm. will be a long time. Um, and And a part of me is overwhelmed by how far we have to go still to recover as as a world and a culture. Um, but a part of me is really excited by some things I'm seeing, because what you talked about there about being so busy, uh, one of the modern day cultural values that I think is causing so much stress is our, as Americans, our core value is do more better. How do I do more better? <laughs> and if you're in the in the money-making world, it's how do I do more, better, faster with less money. right? But in every realm of life, it's spinning at our core. How do I do more, better, do more, better, do more, better, do more, better? Uh, and, and a lot of therapy uh, pre-2020 was helping people find ways to do more, better. And I'm seeing a shift in what people are craving, and it's, it's creating a lot of internal chaos and confusion because we're feeling a little guilty that we don't want to do more better. You know, uh, I know you guys ha- have a lot of pressure to get back to doing more better as educators. <laughs> and the corporate world is saying, okay, enough, right? Let's get back to doing more better. And inside we're saying, I don't wanna. And I hear people <laughs> craving a new core compass and I'm still finding the words for it myself, but I think we're wanting a new value system, a new map. And I think that map looks something like, how do I live more simply and enjoy the experience? How do I live more simply and enjoy the experience? We're craving that. But if we start to live that, there's a lot of repercussions. One, uh, how are we going to keep up with our do more better jobs? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Two, how's that going to look to our neighbors if, if and our friends? If at the end of the weekend I say I sat and breathed all weekend, right? <laughs> what in the world am I going to post on social media after that? We're also wondering, does that mean I'm getting lazy? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we, we have this desire to shift our, our core value system, but we haven't quite found the words and we're not in agreement in what that looks like. And it's in conflict with the old world. Yeah. But I see people changing their root desires. And um we just have to hold hands yeah. and do it together. I think I've
1: heard you speak before um on on another show and and I believe this is where you kind of tied in that whole idea of the um the generational impact yeah. of of where that came from. And so I, I found that very interesting that you know the the earlier generation it was it was about making enough to put a house, put a roof over your your family and feed your family and then, and then the baby boomers and, and the next generation. And then it was do more better. Yeah, it was yeah. all Isn't of Isn't that. that fun? Yeah.
2: So yeah, the veterans, you know, you made enough money to survive. Right. And, um, and then my parents' uh, generation, the baby boomers, there you worked hard and you made money and you got to enjoy the benefits of it. You, yeah. you, you lived in it. And then Gen X, which is what I am, we worked really hard, but we didn't make that much money. And <laughs> so it was it was hard. The, for the baby boomers, hard work paid off. Yeah. We're kind of talking about middle mm-hmm. class values here. For Generation X, it's the first generation where hard work didn't pay yeah. off. And so millennials are looking at their stressed out Gen X parents. <laughs> going, I don't want to be like that. (laughs) It might not be worth it. (laughs) And Gen Z even more so. And so you hear terms like quietly quitting and you hear things like the millennials aren't developing or the the Gen Zers don't have a a work ethic, but I so strongly disagree. Um, I I do think they have a work ethic. I I just think they want a different approach to life other than do more better.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, you talk about the universal formula of resilience, um, and why it's so hard to access, uh, and implement. Uh, does tell me about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, and I mentioned it earlier and I'll say it again. It, it's resilience is nothing more than a collection of helpful thoughts and actions. That's all hmm. resilience is helpful thoughts and actions. Now, Our culture tends to think resilience is a collection of positive thoughts and actions, and that's not necessarily the case. It's helpful thoughts and actions. Um, It's when you're having a hard thing, whether you can control it or not, finding the thoughts that either help you change that hard thing or finding the thoughts that help you tolerate that hard thing. Are finding the actions that help you change that hard thing or finding the actions that help you raise your tolerance and help you adapt to that hard things. Um, but at the end of the day, that's all resilience is. And my job as a therapist is nothing more than to keep people out of numbing or obsession and get them focused on these questions. What thoughts or beliefs help you? Uh, and it starts out usually because our brain, for whatever reason, does not want to stay there. It's constantly fighting the need to go back to spin or to numb. It and Initially, when we say for this hard thing, whatever that stressor is, what helps me? It just goes blank. And so my job is to hold a client in that space and brainstorm together. And sometimes the things that help us are really light and shallow. I often throughout the day when I'm feeling stressed will just randomly say what thought helps me. And sometimes it's as shallow as I'm going to watch The Bachelorette tonight. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes the thoughts that that help me um, come from a deeper place, a a spiritual belief. I I had a lot of thoughts during COVID that while this is horrible now, maybe there's going to be some deeper learning and growth that comes from this. Right? Um, sometimes the thoughts that help me aren't all that nice. Uh, for example, in the winter, when somebody uh, speeds ahead of me on a snowy day and nearly drives me into the ditch, the thought that helps me is thinking about them being in the ditch 20 <laughs> miles from there, right? So it, 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 the thoughts that help don't have to be deep or shallow or positive. But if you keep asking the question, what thoughts help me, your psyche will It will start generating richer and richer and richer responses to that question. But, wow, it's hard to train it to answer that question. It's just ridiculously hard. Uh, And the same for what actions. And sometimes what actions help me, uh, it doesn't go very far. It's uh, usually breathing a little deeper and sitting up a little straighter is sometimes the best I can do. Um, But sometimes I can find... uh, richer and and wiser actions um but it's just incredible how be, instead my brain says i know what will help you go eat some cookie dough yeah <laughs> yeah and i
1: would imagine the more complicated the challenge uh the more you difficult it is it. to find the resiliency you right so i mean i'm thinking as you're talking i'm thinking about jason you know you and i i'm, I'm thinking about students i'm thinking about our kids i've never in my you know i've been in education for 15 16 years jason you longer i've never seen kids um struggling with resiliency more than Mm -hmm. now and and i just oh man i I mean it's such a just a a huge topic and and um
2: well and I, i have an explanation for that and that's what we were talking about earlier the phones. It it goes both ways. One, it is just a way too accessible form of yeah. numbing. And two, it can also support that spinning and obsession. Mm-hmm. It's really easy if you want to blame, go into blame mode, go on social media and you will find, you know, a whole universe of blaming or shaming or comparing. And again, I'm not saying shame, blame, or compare is inaccurate or untrue, but we will never get to a resilient place from that area. Mm-hmm. So I will argue that that social media and the cell phones uh, are, are boosting both our ability to obsess mm-hmm. and to numb.
1: Yeah. Well, they're going to be able to, it's kind of like, um, you know, they're going to find whatever it is they're looking for that's going to validate. Got I, r- it. Rather, r- if I wanted to, I could find research paper that says Twinkies are healthy for you. Yep. <laughs> right. I mean, I could do that. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, so I see them, them doing that
2: in in heidi's utopia we would starting very young right we know that if you smell smoke and see fire what do you learn when you're 5 years old stop drop roll yep, right yep. we know to do that i would love very early on when we see stress to stomp our feet and say let's put our heads together what thoughts help you i'd mm. like to see it starting at age 4 right mm-hmm. and what action makes you feel better
0: I would you know I would even say as we're talking about this what's popped in my head is when we talk about students or even adults and what social media has done I think what I feel is that there's a lot of people that don't that don't want to go try new things they're afraid to fail they're they don't want to look stupid they don't want to be whatever and that's and that's one of the reasons that they're they don't want to push them they they're not i hate to say push themselves but try new things because they're I feel like there's like, oh, I don't, what's this going to look like? Am I, because they're always comparing, like you said, they're on social media, they're on their phones, they're always comparing, well, I'm not that good, I can't do that. So there's, we're, we're I believe we're losing a little bit of that, hey, I'm going to try something, even if, if I'm, if I don't even know if I'm going to be good, at, we're trying a podcast, we've never done this before, and I was, ner- I part of me was like, why are we doing this? Should we even do this? We're not, we don't know what we're doing, but I'm at a point, I don't care. I don't care, this, we're doing this and we're having fun with it and we're learning new things and we're failing, we're going to grow, we're going to fail, we're going to grow. But I think part of that too is I think kids, adults, they they're we're so consumed by the external that we're losing the internal, if that makes sense.
2: Oh, it totally makes sense. And I'm going to bring in a little what we call existential psychology. And existential psychologists theorize that underneath all Hard emotional experiences is fear. That mm. fear drives all dysfunctional behavior and all negative emotional experiences. And the existentialists will say at the root of that is our fear of death, but I have to tell you, I, I disagree with them there. Do you know what I think our biggest fear is? Any guesses? I think it's the fear of what other people think. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And we've always had that in any world. But now we throw in social media, uh, where we get what other people think in great heaping, you know, doses, uh, and I I think that fear is overly triggered for our younger generation.
0: Yeah, I I, I yeah. totally I agree, and that's something that we continually I think in in education or in any in any field is what we're that's what we're dealing with, and this is why I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation with you because bringing light to it. And that's going to lead me into kind of what we're going to talk about. And so Kevin and I, when we were talking about this whole podcast, we wanted to bring to light mental health. We just wanted to start talking about it because in so many ways, I do believe that mental health can be looked at as a negative or a buzzword or just whatever, but mental health what we want to say is it, it is what it is. It's mental health. You have your physical, like you said, Heidi, there's your physical health, your spiritual health, mental health, emotional health, It all what, it is what it is. So what does mental health mean to you and what do you see with that behind all of that?
2: Sure. You know, that was a disappointing thing. It took me almost nine years to get a doctorate and I learned a lot about what mental illness is but wow, for the life of me, I wouldn't be able to tell you at the end of that nine years what mental health is. And even, I don't know how it is for you guys, even the word mental health has, has some yucky feelings mm-hmm, yeah. to it. It's so clinical and so mm-hmm. stale. I try to avoid the word mental health in general. Okay. And i like to explore the word well-being. It just feels mm-hmm. better to me. <laughs>
0: totally agree.
2: Um, And I, I... I fear that in a world that focuses on the value of do more better, our lives become about keeping up with life more than about exploring well-being. And I think that that's the new thing that we're deeply craving and transitioning for. But exploring well-being might mean doing less, less well, right? It might be the opposite of do more better, and that's confusing. But for me, well-being is... A lot of ingredients. And more than kind of finding all those ingredients, I find the buckets for them. For me, well-being is when I have a loved up, well-tended to body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when, my mind is quiet and lightly aimed as often as humanly possible, mm-hmm. which isn't very often. Um, <laughs> lightly aimed where I want my energy to go. And when I am making decisions and engaging in life with a, in a way that makes my spirit feel good, right? Rather than being impulsive or reacting to stress, knowing that I'm responding to stress from a place of value, dignity, wisdom, so for me, well being is a balanced body, a quiet mind, and an engaged spirit.
0: Yeah, I love that. That <laughs> what a beautiful yeah. And I like that I like what you said about using the word well being. And I think that should be something we continually just talk more about is just well being, over yeah. your
1: overall well being. I like too how you mentioned, you know, you put the effort in where you can, knowing, knowing that you're not always going to be able to. And and I think that's, I think that's important because, you know, a lot of people think, well, things are happening in my life. The grass is always greener on the other side. I think it's okay. And this is my own personal opinion. I think it's okay to balance stressful situations. I mean, they're going to happen, right? I mean, like I said, they're
2: mostly happening. Yeah, yeah. We are mostly in a stress state and this is evidence-based. We are mostly in a stress state. One of the most helpful things, I'm sorry I cut you off there, but one of the most helpful things about being a psychologist um, is it's normalized my experience Uh, just to know that other people obsess and numb and that they obsess in the exact same ways I obsess and that they're struggling with what other people think and fear of the future and pain from the past. We are all inwardly feeling overwhelmed and lost and irritated and scared in all of us. Yeah. Some might be better at numbing to it than others, right. <laughs> but all of us are experiencing that. And it's been really helpful and such an honor to be a therapist and get to actually hear what people are truly experiencing. And that's why I I, I don't like the word mental illness um, or yeah. abnormal psychology uh, because I I actually think those things are the norm.
1: Yeah. Right. And do you feel that when when you do use those terms, I mean, something that I I don't know, kind of uh, see in people is when they have a mental illness, you know, in quotes, you know, a, a diagnosis, anxiety, depression. I feel like they become that. I mean, there's an identity, like they they claim. Especially, I'm I'm speaking probably more towards the younger. Um, population. Um, it's, I am anxious. I am an anxious person, as opposed to, mm, I have tendencies to sometimes feel anxious thoughts. It puts um, them
2: in a place of helplessness, yes, right? I yes. I am a victim of an illness that I can't control. Yes. And, you know, the, you learn the medical model in psychology, and it's it's just... I think it's done a lot of harm. Uh, the medical model is an arbitrary model. It's a man-made model of how to describe and categorize negative human emotions. Now, obviously there are some you know, pretty extreme things like hallucinations or delusions, mm-hmm. that that's a whole different category. Mm-hmm. Um, but a medical model tries to make things look like mental illness and that makes us assume that the root of the negative experience is biological, even though we right. don't really say that. Yeah. Um, it makes it seem like it's biological and that it needs to be treated with a medication. It also, mental illness, has this inference that something is wrong with that person. Right. Now, in a whole health approach, we assume negative emotions are a stress response. And you are asking not what is wrong with that person. You are asking what is the source of stress that is creating that negative emotion? Is it something in their circumstances? Is it imbalance in their body? (laughs) Is it a rigid expectation that they or others are not meeting? Or is it a disengaged spirit, a spirit that's not being woken up? But we don't blame the person. We look for the source of stress, and it actually becomes a mystery to solve, right? There's an attitude shift just getting excited about yeah. trying to find that, so I, I think you're bringing up such wise points.
1: Do you see how she circled right around and came right back to the five? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, well, that? it's, it's, that's beautiful. <laughs> it is. And I,
0: what I want to, what's coming to me is we've had a few guests talk about Joe Dispenza. Oh yeah. So Joe Dispenza, and I was reading some stuff this week about stress, and particularly I knew you were coming on the show, but the if we. Can't figure that out, the detrimental physical, emotional, mental effects that it can have on somebody. I mean, I was reading it and I was like, oh my gosh. And you have kind of stated that a little bit, but how to a you understand it, but then how to help people with the the those emotions that you're talking about, even generational emotions, and how to release those. And so that's been really an interest of mine. And I do have a couple books that I'm reading about that. So any thoughts about with you know when you talk about your suppressed immune system? I know mm-hmm. I've in your book, you've talked a little bit about the immune system, but anything like that you could share with the listeners?
2: yeah, you' it, it's a a work in progress, I think, figuring out what do we do with this. But I think here's what we know so far, at least when you're in the holistic health world. I know that um, to start, we do need to make the unconscious conscious, right? We just need to become aware of what we're experiencing physically, emotionally, and cognitively. What are we thinking? What are we feeling? What is our body experiencing? As we spend our day numbing or spinning an obsession, we're not really aware of these things. And unless we can have awareness, we can't deal with something. So the first step is just, what am I feeling physically? What is spinning in my mind and what is my emotional experience? Uh, if, if you are in front of a classroom and there's a kid raising their hand and jumping up and down, if you do not call on them, what do they do? They just jump up and down <laughs> louder. Right? And the same is true for our, our physical and emotional stress. If we just kind of numb it out, it just gets louder. So uh, the first part of psychology, I call it cleaning the wound. Um, we, we just vent about what's hard, what's hard physically, what's hard emotionally, what's, what, what thoughts are driving us crazy. We clean the wound and then we stitch it up. And stitching it up is putting our heads together in a loving, healing, non-judgmental way. And I'm going to sound like a broken record here and coming back to the question of tell me what thoughts. Now I'm using the word help, but we can refine that by saying what we're going towards. So if someone's craving healing from a past event, tell me what thoughts heal. Mm. Tell me what actions heal. Mm. If somebody is low energy and craving vitality, tell me what thoughts invitalize. Is invitalize a word? It is now. Sure. So tell me <laughs> what actions invitalize. And if somebody is overwhelmed, tell me what thoughts calm And tell me what actions calm. Now, I can't get to those questions of what thoughts, what actions help until we have first brought up what needs help. So there's there's bringing things into awareness and then we clean it up. And we clean it up with our thoughts and our actions. And unfortunately, it's not a, you know, one-shot deal. Uh, we It no, keeps it, coming up and we need to keep yeah. cleaning and it out. And it's
0: not easy either. No, and, and that's it takes I think takes time a lot and energy. Of, and it does, and I think that's another piece. It's, it's hard for people when you, like you said, bring that back up to the surface again and you're feeling it again mm-hmm. and, oh my gosh, I want to push it back down or I want to,
2: Uh, I liken it to having the flu. Sometimes, sometimes you gotta, you know, it's gotta purge several times, (laughs) and there's a little relief in between. Yeah. Um. But I, yeah, it's it's an ongoing process. Unfortunately. I love
0: that. that. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
1: Um, we had some questions about social media, but we've 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 covered a lot of that. To be honest with you, do
0: you think there's anything else when when you do talk about when we do talk about social media, but uh, you have talked about the, you know, the impact and all that stuff. But are do you have like, what are some strategies that you think adults or even kids could use when it comes to social media or their smartphone? Get off of it. <laughs> 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 and,
2: and, and I'm serious there, but the, this is a terrifying thing for people. I am not on social media. I yep. tried it for a couple of months, and I, I just. I'm in awe that it took because I found it to be miserable. Two things I found in the daytime, I, I would kind of think, what am I going to post? I tried a Facebook account. I'm old school. And I I didn't have anything I wanted to post. So then I started doubting, am I living a good enough life yeah. if I have nothing I wanted to post? And then when you do post it, I'm a mature, educated adult. Uh, and I can't believe how insecure I felt uh, of, are people going to like it? What mm-hmm. are they going to think? So um I I really I want people off of it but um I know what the research is saying and they are saying that those who engage with social media in an intentional and conscientious way uh are benefiting and getting good results from social media versus how most of it people use it, which is just to go on and get down the rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. meaning they know specifically what they're looking for out of social media and how long they're going to stay on there and they don't get sidetracked. So if you just want to go and see your friend's cat pictures Mm -hmm. and then you get off, Mm -hmm. that person is going to find connection and benefits from social media. But do most people do that? As far no. as I know. <laughs> Especially yeah. not young
1: people, right? I mean, they're, right. yeah, yeah. Um, getting back to you, um, we talked a little bit about your, your routines and, and your morning and whatnot, but what does taking care of yourself look like? How do you, how do you balance, if you like that word, um, how do you negotiate um, your own life, um, needing uh, to be resilient and then managing the challenges of other people. How do you, how do, you do that?
2: It's a, it's a question um, that I'm still working on. Uh, but my work-life balance approach probably looks a little different than most. You know, I think for most of us, we want to give a certain amount of energy to work. And then we want to go home and we want to figure out how to give the leftover energy to all the other areas of our life, right? So we go Mm -hmm. home and we want to attend to health and family and home and extracurriculars and relaxation and all the things. I tend to view balance not over the course of the week. I, I really don't want to squeeze in all aspects from Monday through Sunday. I just find that too much to balance. So I like to see balance both over the course of a year and over the course of a lifetime. Um, So I am not trying to squeeze in all things every week. And for me, work-life balance, I really feel like everybody has to find their individual approach. Um, But for me, I really do want to give a lot of energy to work. If I'm going to be there, and it's a big part of my week, I might as well be there passionately Mm -hmm. Um, because I just get a more pleasurable experience if I engage with work passionately than if I try to reduce my uh, energetic output. But if I engage with work passionately, that means I use up all my good energy. So during the work week, I do very little at night. Um, Again, I I don't have children, so it's uh, easier to do that, but I don't make plans, uh, and and I also don't have a five-day work week, so that makes it easier. So my four nights a week, I go home and my full focus is on restoration. So my work-life mm-hmm. balance means giving all to work and then giving all in my work evenings to restoration. And that looks a little different every night. Most nights I go home and right away we'll turn on music. Mm. You know, music is such a great energy changer, so if yes. I need to be uplifted, I'll play 80s hairband music, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> uh, and if I need to calm down, I might play something more folksy or meditative. And then I, because I have a mind-body-spirit approach to health, will start doing just a few nice things for my body. So I will put my hair up and go wash my face with a soap that smells really, really good <laughs> and put on my cozy socks, yeah. right? Yeah. And my cozy clothes, and I might sing a little or dance a little depending on what's playing uh, and then I'll eat dinner and I'll really look at what will restore me. Now, many days, because I've given so much at work by choice, and that makes a big difference mm-hmm. when it's by choice, um, what what I really want to do is numb. I w- I'll be honest, I want to collapse on the couch yep. and watch TV. That's usually what I want to do, but I will really try to shift from numbing to restoration So I'll deeply ask what would restore me tonight. And sometimes that's getting engrossed in a a good fiction book. Sometimes that's a gentle walk. Sometimes it's sitting on my porch and watching birds on the bird feeder. Sometimes it is watching TV, but then I try to do it in a restorative rather than a numbing way. Mm -hmm. And that means really taking the time to sit on the couch and get my posture and the pillows and the blankets just right. It means having something yummy next to me that I'm drinking. It means maybe doing a little research online and finding a show that I think will engross me as opposed to just kind of mindlessly surfing. So even when I go to the lowest energy thing, which is watching TV, I try to make it restorative instead of numbing. And my evenings are pretty short because I'm I'm in bed by the time yeah. you are, Kevin. Yep. Eight o'clock. Yep. Right? Like <laughs> so that it doesn't latest. take much. <laughs> <laughs> I like that word
0: that you use, restorative. And as we look at ourselves and how we talk about, it starts with you and going back inward, but how can you figure out different ways that are going to work for you to restore your body, your mind and spirit and fill up. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Can I ask you just a quick question about like, um, like supplements? I know I read in your book, you talked a little bit about some supplements. So I, again, I'm not, I take, I I try out all sorts of things and that's um, just who I am. And I'm, you know, I don't tell any other people like what to do or how to do it because everybody's on their own journey and they're going to figure it out their own way. But like, if you were to tell somebody like what, what are some supplements that you think somebody that is maybe new to it that you think they could find benefit from?
2: Absolutely. I'll I'll interject first, you know, all of the, the science and no matter what what kind of schooling you have. Uh, the first recommendation is to try to get your nutrition from real mm-hmm. food. It's just yep. how many of us can do that, myself included. Um, and I'll also put in there that the, the research on supplements is is mixed. There There is uh, plenty of research to support supplementation, especially of individual ingredients. Yep. Things like omega-3s, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of studies that support the supplement use of supplementation. And then there's studies on multivitamins that really don't show much effect, although I have to say I do qual- question the quality of the supplements used and whether they were used in therapeutic levels. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I question the research, uh, and the research is all over the place. Um, but I do supplement in two ways specifically for mental health. And like you were saying, Jason, I don't wanna impose this on anyone. And because we are all bio-individuals, we're all wired a little different. When it comes to supplements, please, please, please do your own research. And please, please, please really observe the impact on your body. Um, And if anything is off, supplementation is not right for you. Mm -hmm. But I uh, go to two supplements for emotional health. B vitamins. Mm -hmm. And can you guess the second one, Danny? Vitamin D? Oh, you know, I do use that one in the winter. um, But magnesium is the second one.
1: My wife and I just started taking magnesium. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. That
2: is like vitamin D one I think most of us could probably use. Uh, And I do B vitamins in the morning and magnesium at night. Now, I get my B vitamins through a pretty high quality multivitamin. So I'm getting some other things in there. As well, but a B complex uh, is all of the B vitamins in one supplement. Um, They're pretty affordable. You definitely want to take a B complex with food, or you're going to pay for it. It's going to make your urine a glow in the dark yellow. (laughs) It's quite impressive. It's pretty hard to overdose on B vitamins because they're water soluble. Mm -hmm. So they're a pretty safe supplement to take. Uh, The nice thing about supplementing with B vitamins, they're they're the energy givers. They're they're the vitamins that produce energy. Uh, And they're also, if you go a more natural path approach to depression, um, B vitamins is going to be one of their cocktail for for depressed moods. Uh, But the nice thing about B vitamins is... If they're going to work for you, you'll feel it that day. You should really feel it within 15 to 20 minutes. And in Mm -hmm. fact, every once in a while when I'm really in a slog, although I have to say when you eat real foods, you don't get that afternoon slump so much, Mm -hmm. your energy evens out. Uh, But when I am in a slump for whatever reason, I will take a a B-complex and I'll notice a lift a good, I would say 15 minutes Mm. later. So B vitamins is my go-to for energy. Um, magnesium is considered the chill pill Love in the yep. micronutrient world. Uh, FDA, I believe, don't quote me on this uh, once, recommends 350 milligrams for women and 400 milligrams for men. Uh, you can take it any time of day. I tend to take it any time between dinner or before bed since it augments sleep. Mm-hmm. I take more than that. Uh, it, when In my training on holistic health, uh, we were taught to take a magnesium until the next day you have a, a loose stool. And, mm-hmm. and when that happens, then you dial it back 100 milligrams. So if mm. I take more like 600 milligrams. Mm-hmm. But magnesium, unlike B vitamins, which are really safe, you, you can take too much magnesium. So yeah. again... Work with a nutritionist or a naturopath or do your own research. But most people are going to be pretty safe with 350 to 400 milligrams of magnesium. There's all different types. From my understanding and training, all of them are good with the exception of magnesium oxide. Magnesium oxide is, uh, most of us, it will just clear out of our system without being absorbed. But all the other ones have different benefits, so play around.
0: Hmm. I would say too, uh, and this is something that you know, I've spent time on and like you said, I've researched natural, you know, I've spent time with a naturopath, but also just going to check out like getting some blood work done too, to see yeah, what's working absolutely. and what's not working. Cause every body's different and everybody's going to take it in differently. And so, um, <laughs> I think my wife chuckles at me all the time because all the money that I've spent <laughs> just trying to figure out my body, but I do. It's about going back to the well-being and the the holistic um, well-being of it. So I'm just trying to do things that... Do you take fish oil as well?
2: That's the other one I do. Yep, I do.
0: Yep. So I'm I'm more of a vitamin D, um, a B, um, fish oil, and then... Uh, still taking the ash ashwagandha ashwagandha Ashwagandha. does another one and i do that because i actually there's been a lot of a lot of stuff that just the stress level of where i'm at and so reading about that and then having somebody talk to me about that and figuring out the right dosage for myself i do i do take that and that helps me just you know because your cortisol level i don't i don't want to be revving that i can't rev that high so i need to and that helps me and that that's again me it's uh, not gonna, it might not and help we everybody. We were
2: just talking about right before we started L theanine. L theanine is an amino acid, it's found in proteins, but uh, there's a more intense dose in green tea. And L theanine is very much like ashwagandha, it calms us down. Now, L theanine, I definitely like to get from green tea. You mm-hmm. can supplement with it, but you have to be careful. Because L-theanine can interact interact poorly with medications, particularly hmm. antidepressants. So yeah, you, you want to be, be careful, careful yeah. when you're supplementing with amino acids. I actually don't recommend it, but um, ashwagandha, L-theanine. These are the calming yes. ingredients of the naturopathic What's world. What's
1: your understanding of? Um, I, I take um, I can't remember the brand or anything, but I've experimented with different brands. I take uh, mushroom. Uh, powders, um, all sorts of different mushrooms. I put in my coffee, um, put it in smoothies. um.
2: They're definitely a superfood. Do I know specifically their impact on mental health? I I do not, but also mushrooms just taste good. Yeah,
1: I love (laughs) mushrooms. There's some interesting documentaries just about mushrooms. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's an amazing uh, organism. It's, yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff. Um, Okay, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, one of the things we always like to ask our guests is kind of ties into uh, sometimes how they got into what they're doing. Um, We're talking about leaders. You're a leader in your field. Most times these leaders have uh, individuals that have impacted them in a pretty profound way, uh, whether that be in their childhood, um, going through school, working towards your degree. Who are your role models? Um, Who are the people that influenced you?
2: You know I always find this question hard. I remember this was the question on my college admissions. Oh, there you essay. go. There you it? go. And I'm I can't believe I'm admitting to you. I I wrote <laughs> Oprah Winfrey. Oh hey! my gosh, that's the best I could do back then. <laughs> I don't know that I can do much better. I, I'll I'll be honest, I I find that I am inspired when I see people um Shining their spirit in whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. way, and so I, I don't necessarily find it in big names. Although I'm sure there's lots of inspiring people out there. If I could think about it, but I have it when a client tells me how they had the courage to do something authentic and genuine, uh, and and then I'm humbled and say I want to be more authentic and genuine. So I I just had a, a humbling moment very recently. There's. Uh, I hope my neighborhood doesn't listen to this podcast because <laughs> I have a neighbor. Uh, and she she's a, a pretty rough character. She rides motorcycles and smokes cigarettes and drinks late at night and plays loud music and is sometimes pretty darn annoying. I'm not gonna lie. and i I just recently learned that this neighbor who I judged um for the last two years, and she's a scrawny little thing, has been shoveling. The driveway of another neighbor of ours who's been dealing with health problems. Right? And that to me is a moment of having a role model, right? Just yeah. seeing what her spirit was made of and how wrong I was uh, about her. Uh, now, her late night. Uh, drinking and loud music is still annoying, <laughs> but I got a glimpse of her spirit, right? and that for me keeps me going. So yeah. I, I really find inspiration when people just shine their spirits.
0: Those are those those real life experiences. Yes, I love yeah. those too. Yep. I really really appreciate
1: the way that you describe spirit. <laughs> I, I do. I think it's it's refreshing and it really paints a good picture and uh, really speaks to uh, who people really are.
2: Oh, we all have one, and you don't have to have a religious orientation to believe right. in that, right? If, if you're religious, you might call it your soul or, or have a religious connotation, but it's, we all know the difference between head and heart. Right? And some people might just call it your higher self in, in neuroscience. We call it our prefrontal cortex. Mm, right? yeah. So, yeah. but we all know what that means. It's our humanness. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. We've got, we've got a couple more questions here. So I've got one, Kevin, and then you're going to yep. wrap up here, but Heidi love it. I just, I mean, I could sit here and continue to talk. him, and I'm like <laughs> losing it track of time. We <laughs> probably will, Heidi. Okay. So there's people out there that are listening and maybe they're like, ah, oh, how do I, maybe want to dip my toes in some of this mental health stuff and things like that. But what are some resources that you would maybe, uh, share with others that maybe are just trying to dip their toes into this whole thing and trying to figure out what should I do?
2: Well, this is gonna maybe be a disappointing answer, but I I want I want us to turn more inward to ourselves for as a resource. I, I, we we all have inner wisdom and strength and courage, um, and I I think we're looking too much outside of ourselves a little bit. Um, and when when we find somebody who's a role model or when we find a resource, what's really happening, I think, is the wisdom is us, is just recognizing the truth of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we're learning something, we're recognizing something that we already knew. And I want people to skip the middleman and start tuning into their own wisdom. So I, I really encourage people, it's it's not satisfying in the beginning, but it grows over time to... Um, cultivate some sort of both proactive and reactive breathing practice. A proactive breathing practice being a meditation practice whether that's 5 minutes a day or 50 minutes a day. Uh, I really prefer moving meditations that's any form of movement that really focuses and forces deep breathing. Yoga, tai chi, qigong. I'm going to argue running is is a moving meditation mm-hmm. because you really have to mindfully yep. engage your breathing. Very much. Right? Very much. Anything that cultivates deep breathing and where you stay conscious of your breathing is a breathing practice. And first of all, it's it's a two-for-one. It's it's better than any supplement or any counseling in that you are calming physically the body. It's, it's the only manual control we have over that autonomic nervous system. So it's the only chance we have of shifting manually from an from a active, agitated, sympathetic nervous state to a parasympathetic nervous state. And then mentally, when we have a practice that gets us focusing on our breath, every time we're focusing on our breath, we can't obsess and we can't numb. Right? Mm-hmm. Every second we're focusing on breath, we're giving our mind a moment of relief. And the more moments of, that we can give our mind of relief, the better. So I would have them start with a proactive breathing practice, even if it's breathing Uh, From the time you walk from the parking lot into your office during the day um, and reactively throughout the day several times, not taking too long because we're busy and stressed, but can you soften and deepen your breath just a little bit, move on with your day? Five minutes later, can you soften and deepen your breath just a little bit and move on with your day? It doesn't solve your problems and it doesn't create instantly a great mood shift. So we all know we need to breathe for emotional health, but we don't we we see it as an end point, not a starting point. And um, we get frustrated because it doesn't feel like it's having a great impact, but it is. And it's where we have to start. And if you can continue to develop that breathing practice, what we're really doing is creating space for spirit, for mm-hmm. our higher self to emerge. And that's when the wisdom comes in. The wisdom comes in when we have a calm body. And a quiet mind and deep breathing, we make space for wisdom. So when people are trying to cultivate well-being or mental health, we've got to create space for it, and breathing is the way that we do that.
0: I love it. I think that kind of wraps it up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, if there, I would just,
1: you know, I mean, I mean, the last question I was gonna ask, you, you kind of, you kind of answered it. It was, it was gonna be, what, what could that one small piece of advice that you would give someone, and I'll tailor it to stress. Um, but what I'm hearing from you is the one thing that, that someone should start with is breath.:
2: Breath. Keep your expectations low to start, but breath. And in, in yoga world, you know, the Western medical world focuses on heart health. There's a world of what we call functional medicine that tends to focus on intestinal health, but in yoga land, we believe breath is the foundation of all physical, emotional and spiritual health.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, take, a <laughs> take a breath. Take a breath Take a breath. Uh, Heidi, we are going yeah, we're going to wrap this up. This is um, to date, this is our longest episode. Uh, and it could have been probably twice as long. It could have been and, uh for sure. Heidi, um sincerely, like the gratitude for for you to be here and and sharing um yourself and your spirit. I, I just can't thank you enough. It's been uh absolute pleasure meeting you and uh pleasure talking to you and getting to to hear your insights and, and wisdom. Um uh revolving a, a very serious topic. Um and, and a very real one that affects everyone. And, and so I know our listeners are going to um, find a lot of uh, lot of joy and, and uh, useful information out of this episode. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate it.
2: Wow, well, thank you. It was an honor to talk to two like-minded souls. Say, I
0: love it. Uh, Heidi, where could, if, let's say there's listeners out there that want to, because I know you have um, gone out and spoke to different, organizations or schools or anything like that, where could people get in contact with you?
2: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I do like talking about resilience to teams or staff. um, And I'm going to spell slowly my email. It's going to be annoying. But why don't you reach out to me at HealthWise? uh, And that's H-K-O-P-A-C-E-K at HealthWisePsychology.com.
0: We'll, put that, we'll also put that in the notes, uh, on the, uh, in the podcast notes. Kevin will get that on there so listeners can check there as well, too. But Heidi, so much enjoyed having you on the show today. I was so excited once we knew that we booked you and you were coming on the show and just learning more about you and just sitting here. I am just, like Kevin, I am wowed, but I appreciate you hanging out with the two principals today. As we had we, some
2: good vibrations.
0: <laughs> we were high-vibing today. <laughs> Uh, As we continue on this journey, one step at a time, one conversation at a time. And as we wrap up today's episode, again, we'd love for you to follow, subscribe, rate, review our podcast, wherever you listen. And we are grateful for your support. As always, please follow us on all of our social media accounts at Two Principles. You can find us on the web at twoprinciples.com. If you have any questions for Kevin or myself, any mailbag stuff, email us at twoprinciplespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for raising
1: your frequency today and looking inward. Wishing you peace and happiness on your journey, wherever that might be. And remember, a better you makes for a better today. It starts with you. Until next time, get out of your head and into your heart.